All right, good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good morning, good morning. <clears throat> welcome. If you're new here, I just want to say welcome. So glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, my name is Nate, one of the pastors here. You can come say hey to me after. You can grab a welcome card in the lobby on your way out. Promise we'll be friendly. We'd love to connect with you to help you wherever you are in life. <clears throat> yesterday, hey, who was here yesterday? Who, who experienced some of that? All right, awesome. It was a great day. It was a great day in the presence of the Lord. Uh, we gave him 12 hours, 9 to 9, and the Lord met us there. Uh, it's so true every time. If you give the Lord time, he'll meet you. It's true, and I hope that you're encouraged by that. Uh, the Lord really worked in our lives and in our hearts. Uh, it was a great way to kind of close out our 21 days of, of prayer and fasting. Uh, a great time for us together. And so I just encourage you, maybe next time we do that, if you missed out, or maybe you were watching online, that's awesome. Uh, it was a really an amazing, amazing time with the Lord. In light of all of that, uh, what we wanted to do, so today we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 32, and today technically closes and finishes out our preparation of consecration series in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. As we've been seeking the Lord um, as to what's next, one of the things that stood out to us in the text was that when they gathered for seven days, they wanted seven more because the Lord was so good. And in his presence, they found such an amazing uh, joy in, in the Lord. And so as we've done these 21 days, we just felt like the Lord was like, hey, 21 more, 21 more, seven more, 21 more. Uh, and so that's what we want to do for the next 21 days as well. And what I want to do is this. It's going to be simple in the terms of the next three sermons are going to be addressing this same topic from different texts. And so we're going to jump out of this text next week, go somewhere else. But I think the Lord wants us to continue to press in on this thought of consecrating ourselves unto him, enjoying his presence. So just like they said, we got seven. We want seven more. We're going to say we got 21. We would like 21 more with you. Uh, I would encourage you just to ask the Lord what that may mean for you. Uh, maybe it's something different. Maybe you don't even necessarily fast in the same way. Uh, we just go through this together. I just encourage you, man, what does it look like to engage with the Lord in a serious effort to pursue him and to consecrate yourself for another 21 days for us to do that together? And then I'll be excited soon to announce uh, an awesome series we have coming up on February 21st, uh, which is going to tell a lot about what we're attempting to do as a church, and it's going to be really awesome to do that together. So on the 21st, we'll start that. For the next three weeks, we want to continue this theme. But today, I'm going to finish 2 Chronicles 32. I'm going to finish the story that we've been in all of the month of January. And we're going to see something significant from the Lord this morning. And so we've been saying this every week, a phrase hopefully you know by now. If you can say it with me, it should be on the screen. In the presence of God, the victory is won before the battle has begun. In the presence of God, the victory is won before the battle has begun. We saw that chapter 29, chapter 30, chapter 31. And today, chapter 32, is basically the climax to that point. It's where you really see this point come to fruition. And it's something I hope you live by. In the presence of God, the victory is won before the battle has begun. As we've been saying all series, life is about order. It's about order. And if we put God first, not just with our lips, but with our time and our energy and our resources and our efforts, in the presence of God, the victory is won before the battle has begun. What we're going to see today, this is awesome, the exclamation point of God's story is that God wins the victory and Hezekiah doesn't even have to fight. Doesn't even have to fight. He prepares for the fight, but he doesn't have to do the fighting. 
And this is amazing. It made me think of how often maybe sometimes because we haven't prioritized the presence of God, we enter into fights unnecessarily. How many times you pick up the fight when God never intended you to do that? What if you had gotten the order right and prioritized him and his presence and his ways? Maybe he would have come through for you and done the fighting for you, but you went through a fight unnecessarily. I wonder how that's true of many of you in the room, true of me. Something we talked about a few weeks ago was hopefully in 2021 we learn and not make the same mistakes that we maybe made in 2020 to learn to do it God's way and to trust the Lord's way. And so how many fights have you been fighting and you've been worn out by fighting, but it's been so unnecessary for you to do the fight? God wants to fight for you. I'm going to show you what that means because it doesn't mean you have to do nothing. That's very important. You have to do a lot. God wants you to do things in light of this. But today, the message is called Watch God Work. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, watch God work. All right? Watch God work. Watch God work. Get the juices flowing in your body. Watch God work. The, the phrase for today is if we, we put God first and then you watch God work. This is order. This is the order of a spiritual life. Put God first watch God work. Put God first, watch God work. When you do it in this order, you're going to see some amazing fruit and victory. So that's what we see here uh, from chapter 32. So let's start. I'm going to read the first part of verse 1, and we're just going to work through the story piece by piece as we have been to try to cover most of it. So chapter 32, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah, and he encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. Stop. I'm going to go ahead and stop right there. This is good. Look at this. Look at verse 1. It says, after these things. After these things and these acts of faithfulness. So look what happens, right? Hezekiah, as a leader, a good leader, he gets things right. He pursues God again. He prioritizes God. He gets the temple ready. He invites the people to worship. The people return and they accept the invitation, at least some of them. There's a spiritual renewal happening. They're doing things the right way. They're finally getting it right. They're following the Lord as they should be. They go and they tear down the idols in the high places and they keep doing the right thing. And after all of that, their biggest problem came. They did everything right. They finally got it back together, and then the biggest problem shows up. This is how it works here, and this is something you and I need to be ready for in life is to say, man, if I pursue the Lord and get my life in order and prioritize him, that does not mean that life is going to go well for me. That means I'm going to be ready. And we get so mad when we say, Lord, I've finally been doing it. I've been living the right way, and now I get my biggest problem? I did it right, God. I mean, I've been, I've been pursuing you. I've been running away from these terrible things I've been doing. My life is changing, Lord, and I've been doing it the right way, and you're going to bring me this? And we get so mad at God because we say, man, after all of this, you're going to do that to me? You have to be ready for this in 2021, for you to consecrate yourself unto the Lord, to get your life in the right order, and then not to be misguided, but to expect some big problems. Maybe they'll come, maybe they won't. But here's something you need to think about. Getting right with him and putting your life in the right order does not mean that trouble won't come. It just means you'll be ready for it. 
ready. It doesn't mean that trouble won't come. Getting your life in order and doing things God's way and pursuing him and finally getting it together with him to say, I'm doing things your way, Lord, does not mean that trouble won't come. It means that you'll be ready, right? So if you ever play sports or whatever, like in basketball or anything really, there's a defensive stance, you know, and so you got to get your legs right, get your feet down and get like this, and you get ready. Why do you get like that? Because there's a challenge coming. Somebody's going to try to cross you over, and if you fall down, you're going to look stupid. So you don't want to do that, and so you got to get ready. It's this defensive stance. And if you're, just, if you're just hanging out or playing basketball, if you're just doing this, boom, they're going to go right by you, no problems. The threat's coming. The question is whether you're ready, ready. And so that's what God's trying to help us do here is just get ready. And maybe it'll be a wonderful year of blessing. Praise the Lord. Yes and amen to that. But maybe there will be some greater challenges ahead. And I don't want you to leave this series or I don't want you to attempt to get your life right with the Lord and to do everything the right way and then something happen that's terrible or some trouble come and for you to look at God and say, after all I've done, how could you? I want you to avoid that right now. Look at this. After all these things and these acts of faithfulness, God allowed the biggest problem to enter in. You have to be ready for that. You have to be ready for that. One of the amazing things that we see about this is it's Hezekiah's obedience that caused the trouble. You want to know why Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, was mad at him? Because Hezekiah decided to stop paying tribute to them. So as a part of his return to the Lord, he said, no, man, we're not relying on these other nations. We're not living like that. We're trusting in the Lord alone. We're not doing that anymore. So he stopped paying tribute to him. The tribute would keep the king of Assyria happy with them. He was the big boy on the block. He was the threat. He did terrible things to people. He was the strong army around. They had just taken out Israel to the north, and so they'd taken out Israel, the people of God, and now he was coming to Judah. His father had taken them out, but now he's coming to Judah. They've already heard these terrible things happen. They've seen their brothers get taken out, and so now this threat comes. This threat from Sennacherib comes, and he says, no, I'm not going to pay tribute to you, and so now an act of obedience led to trouble. Come on, now this is so helpful for your life. We say obedience leads to blessing. And that very well may be the case. And it is a blessing when trouble comes if God has led it that way because you're following him because he's going to work it out for your good. But you have to have the right mental and biblical understanding to say, man, sometimes my acts of obedience have a direct connect to more trouble in my life. And God's going to be with me in it. That's the whole point. We're going to see that too. But you got to be ready. You can't be misguided and misinformed as a Christian to say, man, if I get my life in order or pursue the Lord the right way, boom, boom's going to happen and these other things won't happen. No, God never said that. God never promised that. After all these things and all these acts of faithfulness, the biggest problem came. You need to be ready for that in 2021. Let me, you should write this down. This is going to take us probably the rest of the way. God promises the assurance of his presence, not the absence of problems. This is God's promise to you, 2021 and every day. God promises the assurance of his presence, not the absence of problems. But we think the absence of problems defines the assurance of his presence. 
It's the other way around. And most likely, it is in the greatest problem that we experience the greatest presence of the Lord. And so God promises the assurance of his presence, not the absence of problems. And as you step into 2021, and as you continue to pursue the Lord, you need to know that God's promise to you is not that you will have a problem-free life. That's called heaven, and he has promised that. It's the life we wait for and to come. But the life that's on this earth now, Jesus has said, man, in this world you will have trouble need to be ready. God promises the assurance of his presence, not the absence of, his pro- absence of problems. And it's very often that in the midst of our problems, we get the revelation of God's presence. Psalm 34, 18 says, God is near to the brokenhearted, the Christian spirit. God has promised you his presence. And that should be enough for assurance. So God promises the assurance of his presence, not the absence of his problems. That's a helpful thing for you to live by in life. It's also theologically correct. And it will keep you from misunderstanding a lot of things that God does or God allows in your life. I don't want you to look at the Lord and say, how could you? I want you to be ready. Get in the defensive stance. Prepare. Consecrate your heart and be ready. So, verse 2. Let's keep looking at this. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city. And they helped him. A great many people were gathered. They stopped all the springs of the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely. He built up a wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it. Outside, he built another wall. He strengthened the millo in the city of David. He made weapons and shields in abundance. So now, right, all you type A's, Enneagram 1's, I need a plan. Here you go, okay? Here you go. He made a plan. He had a plan. He got out the whiteboard. He executed a strategy. He called all his resources. He counted his numbers. He had the Excel sheet ready. He knew exactly how many weapons and stuff he had. He made a plan. And so for all of you that think, man, I need a plan, look, he made a plan. He made a plan. The time they spent pursuing the Lord didn't negate the need for making a plan. It just preceded it. It came first. Life is about order. Order. It didn't negate the need for a plan. It just preceded it. It came first. When we trust God and enjoy his presence and pursue him, that doesn't mean that's all we have to do. It just means it's the first thing we must do. It's about order. Everything is about order. And you know, I was having a conversation with somebody, I think it was yesterday about this, about trusting in the Lord, but then doing your work, you know, and like, obviously I need to, I can't just like sit here and say, Lord, you know, go save people, and Lord, help my wife. And, you know, God's like, no, you go help your wife, man. Get out, walk over there and help her, you know. You can't just like sit here and, Lord, please do that. No, I have to do it. So what... <clears throat> What's the balance of, like, trusting the Lord and really enjoying him and prioritizing him, no distractions, and the balance of me working hard and trusting, like, praying hard and working hard? And how does that all work out? And the question was, what's the balance? And it struck me in that moment, it's not about balance, it's about order. This was really insightful to me. It was like the Lord was telling me something in that moment that I hadn't thought about yet. It's not about balance, it's about order. And look at me now, right? If it's about balance, now you're trying to manage two equal things, and that gets difficult, and you don't know what to do. But if it's about order, you pick one up first, and you pick the second up second. 
right? And you're not trying to walk on a balance beam. You see what I'm saying? So you've been trying to maintain balance of things that you think are equal, and God is trying to help you live in the right order, one thing first, second thing second. This is, this is God to help you. It's, I've been thinking about it all day. I still don't, I'm still trying to work out like what the Lord is trying to reveal to me in that. I just thought, man, we try to spend so much life about balance. We try to balance all these things. We're balancing work and family. We're balancing life. We're balancing even theologically. What do I do and what does God do? We're balancing. And God says, hey, it's not about balance. It's about order. It's not your job to manage. It's not your job to balance and weigh these things out. It's about order. And if you put God first, everything else will flow from that point. And you'll understand. Not just putting God first with your lips, but putting God first with your time and with your money and with all the things that you have. It's not about balance. It's about order. And maybe that's the word for some of you this morning. I think it's super helpful to me. I'm still thinking it through. All right, just so as we look at this, remember, let's go backwards to uh, chapter 29. So the priests were cleaning the temple, and they said, I have a job to do. So we're talking about making plans. So they said, Hezekiah says, we want to pursue the Lord. Yes and amen. Now that didn't mean everybody just come, open your Bible and sit down. It didn't mean that. It would eventually sort of mean that, but it didn't mean that first. It meant, hey, you got to go clean the temple. The temple's dirty. The temple's not what it should be. That's not going to magically go away if you pray about it. You got to go actually pick up a sponge and you got to clean some stuff, all right? So to say, this is what you have to do. You got to clean the temple. We want to worship, but you got to do some stuff to get ready. Okay, so the priests have an assignment. I got to clean the temple so we can worship. But remember, what did they do? What did they do? They spent the first eight days in personal consecration, getting their heart ready, and the next eight days in public ministry, cleaning the temple. They had 16 days. They took half of those time to pursue the Lord, to get their heart ready, and to do that first. So here, here's a practical thing for you. They didn't avoid picking up a broom. They just picked up their Bible first, if you want to think about it that way. The, the call to pursue the Lord didn't mean they didn't have to pick up a broom. It just meant they picked up their Bible first. I want you to make plans, but I want you to prepare your heart first. The most important thing for you to prepare is your heart, not your plans. But we do this backwards because we're rushing to make things happen. Because we got to execute the plan. Because we need to see results right now. Imagine that the, the, the goal was to clean the temple. For the first eight days, nothing was cleaned. Nothing. Can you imagine? If I gave somebody that works with me a job and I said, you got, you know, whatever, all this time. In the first eight days, they had done nothing. I'd be like, what are you doing? That's terrible. You need to get to work. And they said, no, we have these eight days, and we're going to pursue the Lord. And then as we talked about, the next eight days were more productive than if they'd given 16 days to it, because that's spiritual math. That's how God works. Say, so you need to get something done, spiritually speaking. You need to even get something done in your life and in your family and all of that. Well, give the Lord the right time, and then give your efforts to it. But because we're so self-reliant, we give ourselves most of the time, and we give God a little bit of effort. So we give, we give God a little bit of space. So we give God a little bit of space and time. We give ourselves the majority of space and time, and then we wonder why the results are so small. We wonder why the effect is so little. We wonder why our heart is still dull. We wonder why the relationship's not mended. We wonder. And this, the reason is because you would have been more productive giving yourself less time to work and giving God more time to work. It's about order. It doesn't mean you don't pick up the broom. Just pick up your Bible first. And this is what we got to think about in our life as you do this together. 
And as we think about growing in the Lord, and as you think about consecrating yourself unto the Lord, that you need to make your plans. But I'd rather you have a good heart than good plans. A heart that's right with the Lord than plans that are perfectly executed. This is the so important thing, to get the first thing first and to say, I got to have my heart in the right place. So let me give you, I think there's two types of people in the room, and we all struggle on both sides. Some of you in the room avoid the work required to grow in the Lord and to be ready for the battles ahead, and some of you depend on it. So some of you avoid the work to grow. Like we talked about last week, you had the, dis- the desire but no discipline. And you need to implement some consistency to build intimacy with God. You can't just sit around and hope it happens. And so you, you avoid the work required to grow, the avoid the work required to be ready for the battles ahead, and then the battles come, and they walk you over, all because you weren't ready. You weren't in the defensive stance. You hadn't done the things the Lord had asked you to do to be ready. You avoid the work required to grow spiritually, and that causes a problem. But some of you depend on the work. You depend on your work, what you can do, what you can make happen, your plans, your strategies, your way. You depend on it, and it's just as bad to avoid it as it is to depend on it. You can't avoid the work. you got to be involved in what God is doing. You can't depend on it. It's God who works. And listen, then you say, well, what in the world do I do? How do I balance? And I say it's not about balance. It's about order. It's about order to get the Lord right, to come to him first. This is why even just speaking of generosity, the Bible says we give him our first fruits. Why? Because we give him the first thing. Then everything else makes sense after that. We don't give God what's left over. And the same is true with our time. Right? Some of you, just practically speaking, you say you want to follow God, but you, you read like one second of something right before you go to sleep because you're really tired and you feel guilty. You never spend any time with God all day. And you wake up and you do that again. And you're giving God your leftovers and then you wonder why there's no spiritual progress. Come on, like if we really want to grow, we got to implement these things. We got to do the work. But then you also can't depend on the work. Man, some of you are really good at planning. You're really good at executing things. You have great discipline and you're making these things happen. But you're also not seeing any spiritual progress. Why? Because you're depending on your work, not God's. And so we got to find out, where, where do you fall on that? What is the Lord calling you to? What's the order for you to get right so that we can grow in the Lord? I want you to grow in the Lord. And these are some practical things that are going to help us do that together. So look at verse 6. They made their plans. And then Hezekiah gives a great speech because it was short. <clears throat> and he set combat commanders over the people and he gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city, and he spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and the whole horde that is with him. Look at this. For there are more with us than with him. And if you stopped right there, you'd be like, That's the dumbest thing you ever said. I can count. There's a lot of them, and they're stronger and meaner. You know, we're not that mean, and we're not that strong. But what's the next line? With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God. Come on. That'll preach. I should have to say nothing after that. That'll do the work of preaching itself. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God. To help us and to, say it with me, fight our battles. And look what happens. Then the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. There are more with us than with him. You know, there's another story just like this. 
where Elijah, Elisha has this issue and all these uh, people are coming after him and there's this mountain, you know, there's a mountain and they can see surrounding the whole village are all these armies and they're all coming after one man, Elijah, Elisha. They're coming after him because he's a prophet and he knows what they're doing. So every time they try to make a plan, God tells Elisha what they're doing, and then Elisha tells the king, and the king makes preparations, and he prevents the attack. And this happens over and over again. And somebody tells the other king, hey, there's a guy on the inside over at the other place, at Judah, and he's the one telling everybody the information. So you need to go take care of him, and then you can start fighting them and have your way. So a whole army comes after one man, and he's sitting there. He looks up, and the army's there. He has his assistant there, and his assistant says, what are we going to do? And his answer is, don't worry. There are more with us than with them. And his assistant says, you've gone crazy. There's nobody with us, bro. It's just you and me. And we're prophets. We're not swordsmen. We're not warriors. There's a bunch of really bad warriors up there. They're coming after you, just you, little old you. And he's like, no, there's more with us. And then he prays. And he says, God, would you open his eyes? And he opens his eyes. God opens his eyes, spiritually speaking, and then he sees it. Angels and chariots of fire surrounding the village. And he says, oh, I see it now. There's more with us than with them. And this is what Hezekiah says too, man. With your physical eyes, you see a bunch of warriors. I need you to have some spiritual eyes to see the Lord is with us. Come on. And some of you are entering into 2021 with what your physical eyes can see. with what your physical eyes can see, with what your physical senses can touch, with what you can know, things you can count, things you can see, things you can plan for. And God says, I need you to take a minute and I need you to be in my presence. Why? So that I can give you spiritual eyes to see. Some of you are working by your senses when you need to be working by the spirit. You're working by your senses. You're working by what you can see, what you can feel, what you can manage, what you can plan for, what you can taste, what you can hear. And God says, 2021, how about this? Why don't you plan to be in my presence? Why don't you prioritize time with me? And that way you can begin to live by the Spirit instead of your senses. Because look what happens when you do that. You take confidence. Did you know that the phrase, do not be afraid, is the most commonly used command in the Bible? If you said, what is the number one command, probably after repent and be saved, that would be the first most important one, not said as much, but the most important one. Say, what's, in, what's one of the most important commands God would ever give me in the Bible? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, let me show you something. This is so important. Verse 8, with him is our own flesh, with us is the Lord our God. Now imagine that this had happened before they had returned to the Lord. They're worshiping at their high places. They're disobeying the Lord. They really have no concept right now of God's grace and mercy in their lives because they haven't experienced it. They're totally led astray. If this happens before then, there's no speech because there's no our God. There's the God, but it wouldn't have been our God. So why, you see what's happening here? Why are they confident? Why? 
what is the confidence? Does it come from Hezekiah's speech? No. Hezekiah's speech is just a reminder of something. He's saying, hey, do you remember? Do you remember? We all met together, and the Lord met us in that place. And the Lord forgave your sins, and he brought spiritual renewal to this place. And he said, yes, I will receive you again. Even though you've rebelled against me, I will be merciful and gracious to you because I love you and you are my people. And God had been restored again to them, and they had experienced him with them already. The presence of God manifests to them, and they tasted it, and they knew it. So then they face a battle, and Hezekiah says, that same God, our God, that you experienced just the other day will be with us. He couldn't give that speech until they had returned to him. That would have been worthless to them. It would have meant nothing. But now because they had experienced God for who he is, they were able to be confident in what he could do. And so come on, this is you and me to say you and I, we need confidence. We need confidence that God can do what we ask him to do. Confidence that God is in control. Confidence that God is for us. Confidence that God is with us. But here, you need to write this down. If we want to be confident God is with us, we must constantly be with him. This is your life. You see what I'm saying? Your life to say, you need confidence. You need confidence that God will be with you. You need confidence that God will strengthen you. You need confidence that God will restore you. You need confidence that God will mend the situation you're in. You need confidence that God will fight the battles that are stronger than you. You need confidence. You need confidence. You need God confidence. That's the phrase you need. You need God confidence. Well, how do I get God confidence? It's not just by knowing the right facts. I got lots of people that know the right facts, but they don't walk in any confidence. God wants to give you confidence confidence. How? By being with him. Where else do you expect to get it? If God says, I will be with you, that's not any help unless you know what it's like for him to be with you. How is that helpful to you if you haven't experienced it? If you haven't sat down with your Bible and read something in Matthew and you saw, man, the Lord said to me, man, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And as I was sitting there in my coffee table with my kids running around, I received that. And I said, yes, the Lord is with me today. And though there may be many burdens in my life today, he will give me rest. And I walk in that confidence today. And I say, yes and amen. And that was just me and the Lord. And then all of a sudden, maybe something else happens or something terrible comes into our life. And I say, man, Lord, I saw you the other day and the other day and the other day. And you've been walking with me and teaching me and strengthening me. And all of these things from your word have always come true. Every time you tell me something, it is what it is. You never let go. You never disappoint. You never tell a lie. It comes perfect. It is what it is. And when I meet you, I know you're real and that you are who you say you are. So that when I come and face these things that are greater than me, and the challenges that await me and the problems that are too big for me, I have God confidence that did not come in the moment but came through many moments of constantly being with him. This is your life. You see what I'm saying? Come on. We're trying to like manage life and then when something happens, we hope to all just rise to the occasion and that never happens, right? It's the same thing. People don't just, all, Seth Curry doesn't just make 10 three-pointers because he wakes up and feels like it. Now he does probably, but it's because he did a lot of work to get there. He spent a lot of time and now he can make, he can deliver in the moment and to say, man, I need to put in the work to be with God, to prioritize his presence so that I'm ready in the defensive stance. I'm ready so that when the thing comes, it's not me rising to the occasion is the fact that I have God confidence. You need some God confidence this year. 
You need some God confidence, and that comes from being with him, from constantly being with him. So this is how you have to see it. This is how you have to see your devotional time, your time in the Word, your time spent at church, anything you do to grow spiritually as something not only that is wonderful because God is there, he's the best thing, like he's wonderful. You want to spend time with him because he's so good. But then also because you want to be ready, ready. You need God confidence. And God confidence comes from being with him. I want you to have God confidence. That's the point of the story, I think. God wants to affirm. Romans 8.32 says, if God is for us, who could be against us? This is there. John, 1 John 4.4, 4, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus said in John, he said, man, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Is that real to you? Like, for real, not just words on a page. Have you experienced that? Are you living in that? God wants you to have that kind of confidence to say, Psalm 34, 18, man, God is near to the broken heart and the crushed in spirit. It's just what we sang earlier, Genesis 50, 20, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. These aren't just words. Come on. This is life. And are you experiencing that on a daily basis and pursuing him so that when somebody gets up or when somebody tells you, say, man, God is, God is with you in this trouble. God is for you in this time. God is fighting your battle currently. God will be with you. He will deliver you. He will bring you through it. And even if that means right in life, sometimes we get terrible things and they stay terrible, but God will deliver and be with me and take me through. And eventually the deliverance is heaven and I can be in a place with no problems. And God says, I'll promise to be with you and bring you with me into that place. Come on, I want you, like, as a, as a pastor here to have God confidence. I want you to have God confidence. But I know, I know where it comes from. I know where it comes from. It doesn't come from a good sermon. It doesn't come from great musicians. These are all wonderful things, and they're helpful. It doesn't come from great church. It comes from God, the source. This is why I say every week, man does not live by sermons alone. You can't come here and get your fix. It's not going to work. You need to let the Lord give you the ice cream every day. I come put a cherry on top. Okay, that's my job. I'm the cherry guy. I just put the cherry on top. That's all I do. My job is very simple, just cherry on top. But if you don't have the ice cream Sunday, you can't live off the cherry. That's not, that's not so helpful. But if you're spending time with the Lord, then I get up here and try by the Holy Spirit to unfold something to you. It's like yes and amen. It comes with more power. And then I'm encouraged and I go live out. But if, if you're just trying to get a fix off a sermon or some, some small thing, I'm saying that's just not going to do it. I'm just begging you to find some consistency with God because I want you to have God confidence. And God wants you to have that too. If, if you're in Christ, you're his child. He loves you. You think he wants you to walk around like, woe is me. Life is never going to work out. I guess I'll just be destroyed by this, you know? I just can't take it anymore. I don't know. Can you imagine? I mean, those of you who have children, the thing I want the most is for my kids to be confident in who God is. Right? And if Josiah's walking around, you know, he's really into art right now. He's my five-year-old. He says he's going to be an artist. I'm like, that's cool, man. I have no idea how to draw anything. I mean, praise be and do it, whatever. <laughs> He just wants to be an artist. And I'm like, okay, great. And so he'll, he'll draw these things, but he's, he's just like my wife. He's a perfectionist, right? And if it's not perfect, 
He hates, you know, he's like, ah, he gets freaky, he freaks out. <laughs> you know, the five-year-old perfectionist, you know, my wife has much more maturity now, so she can handle it. But he's five, and he gets so upset, so upset at himself. And then he's so mopey, you know, and he's just like, man, I'm never going to be this. And rip it up, I'm never going to be an artist. I'm the worst, you know, I'm the worst. And what do you think my heart is in that moment? Yeah, you are the worst. <laughs> you think that's what I'm like, I would love for you to keep feeling this way. I would just, I, can you spend the rest of the day walking around thinking how bad you are? I would love that. That would make me feel great if you felt terrible about yourself. No! What do I want? I want to say, buddy, man, you just messed up a little bit, but you're doing such a great job. You have such a skill, man. Daddy can't even draw as good as you can. Man, you're so good at this. I know you messed up a little bit, but that's okay. We all mess up. Just keep going. Like, you can do this. You're really good at it. I'm really proud of you. I think you're doing a great job. And hopefully through those words now, what does he receive? Confidence. Come on. Sometimes you have this wrong picture of God. He's just mad at you all the time and all that like that. And if you aren't in Christ, that is true. I don't want you to miss that. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, the Bible calls you an enemy of God. You need to repent and trust him and follow him. That's the only thing for you to do today. That's it. You need to believe in Jesus and trust him. But for those of you in the room who call yourself a child of God, what do you think? God's just like, ah, oh, you're doing such a bad job. I want you to keep feeling terrible. I want you to keep feeling like this will never get resolved. I want you to keep feeling like you can never change. I want you to keep feeling like this will never be restored. I want you to walk around all day. I am the worst. This is not going to get better. I stink. This sucks. I'm never going to be this. This is never going to be that. This is too big for me. No, he's your father. So he gives you these words, right? And he says, I will be with you. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why does he do that? He wants you to have confidence. Confidence. Confidence in who he is. Confidence in his feelings towards you. Confidence in who you are in him. Confidence in what he has called you to do. Confidence in the purpose he has laid on your life. Confidence in his ability to redeem any situation. Confidence in his ability to redeem any trouble. Confidence in his ability to restore and to make good and to change things around. To have confidence. This is what I want for you. And so let's keep reading. Let's see how God unfolds the story. Verse 9. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, here's the phrase, On what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you? that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst. And when he tells you, the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria, has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, before one altar you shall worship and on it you shall burn your sacrifices. So Sennacherib comes and he starts to make threats. This is the work of the devil himself. Speaking like he's speaking. Here's the question he asks. He thinks the question, and he asks it mockingly, but this is the question God wants to ask you. On what are you trusting? What a question. The problem, the problem itself looks at him, and he says, what are you trusting in? 
On what are you trusting? You think what you're trusting in can handle me? That's what, that's what Sinekarov is saying. On what are you trusting? Come on, this is what we say. Sermons are only good if you think about them and apply them. What are you trusting in? You need to answer that question. Don't let it just sit up there in the sky. What do you trust on? What are you trusting? What do you rely on? What do you count on? What's the thing that gives you security and hope? What makes you feel good and secure in the world? What are you trusting on? What are you trusting? What are you trusting on and relying on? Here's the question for some of you. Are you trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to give you eternal life? Or do you think your own good works can manage it? Do you think you can get there by yourself? I don't know what religion you might have come from or what situation you might be in, but I want to affirm to you today that you have no shot at getting into heaven on your own. Zero, zero, zero. If you're trusting in yourself, your good works, and your efforts to serve people, that will get you nowhere. It will actually get you hell because of your sins. God says, on what are you trusting? And the answer, the only answer that's important for any human being ever to answer is I'm trusting in the one name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. And for some of you, today's the first day when God's calling you because you said, what are you trusting in? And you say, I trust in myself or I trust in my good works or I trust in I go to church or I trust in that. And God says, that's not enough. That's not gonna do it. Your sins are too great. And God wants to come to you and say, though your sins are great, my love is greater. And if you would trust in me and what I have done for you, you could receive salvation. And God's calling you to that today, and he's touching on your heart. And then for many of you, you say, man, you once have trusted in Christ. And my question is, are you trusting in Christ right now? Are you trusting in him? And the trust and the confidence is going to come from being with him. So if you're saying right now, I struggle to trust Jesus for this situation. I struggle to trust Jesus for this aspect of my future. I struggle to trust Jesus for this. My answer back to you is, go back to him and spend time with him. What are you trusting on? I also want you to notice this. As soon as the people take confidence, what happens? They get hit by lies. What does he say? Man, do you think Hezekiah? He says, Hezekiah is misleading you. You think your God can handle this? Oh, man, Satan does this all the time to you. You get confidence, you read the scriptures, yeah. And then you go and encounter the world, and God, Satan whispers in your ear, man, that... That's misleading you. God's misleading you. And he's telling you to wait. Nah, you need to make it happen. You think you can just wait? And he's telling, he's telling you, no, you can't do this. That's not the right way to live. But he just wants to take away your joy. God just doesn't want you to be happy. Why don't you go ahead and get it now? Why don't you go ahead and make that decision? Man, that person, that friend that tried to share the word of God, man, they don't understand your situation. Ooh, how often does he live? They don't understand you. They don't know what it's like to be in your shoes. How could they possibly give you advice? Do what you think is right. Get confidence. But when confidence comes, Satan sees it, and he's going to bring a lie. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the lie Satan's going to bring to you? You say, man, I'm really actually trying to make a difference and my life is starting to change. And then Satan's going to do something to say, it's not worth it, not worth it. Maybe what you thought would happen when you begin to make a change doesn't happen. And then Satan says, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Look at that obedience. Look what that got you. It got you trouble. God's been misleading you. Look at that. God doesn't care about you. Look at that. You did all that for him and he just brought you trouble. 
He's misleading you. This is what Satan does all day long. Sometimes he whispers it. Sometimes he screams it through certain ways. Are you ready for that? The father of lies. He's lying to you. And the more confidence you have, the more lies he's going to bring. Because your target gets bigger. Are you ready for the lies Satan's going to bring? Because here's what we see. The next 13 through 18, basically he continues the same thing. I won't read the whole thing for the sake of time, but he basically says, listen, I already took out all these other towns. By this point, he had already destroyed 46 cities, 46. So why would, he's like, why would you be any different? You're 47, number 47, coming right up. And so he says, man, your God can't deliver you. And he said this to terrify them. Verse 19, though, the commentator says this, and they spoke of the God of Jerusalem, get this, as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. So now he's saying, this guy would dare to speak of the God of the universe in the same way he speaks of a piece of wood. This guy would dare to do that. And this was a huge mistake. This was a huge mistake. I want you to, I want you to see this. I love this. So if you read 2 Kings 19, there's a, a more fuller kind of part of this story about the prayer of Hezekiah and the deliverance of Israel. So same story, just kind of different angles. So God, Hezekiah prays, and then God tells him this. He says, I will defend this city to save it, get this, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Now, this is what I mean when I say, and the Bible says, God will fight your battles. Because your battles are his battles. Your, oh, come on, I don't know if that hits you right. Your battles are his battles. Do you hear that? Look, I will defend this city. God says, he promises Hezekiah, I will defend this city. Why? First, for my own sake, because he is making a mockery of me, and that will not happen. I am the Lord God, and he will not speak of me that way. But also for the sake of my servant David. Why? So you see what happens now. This is so wonderful. Okay. When you're part of the family of God, right, God defends his children with the same energy and zeal that he defends his own name. Because you are his, and he identifies with you. Come on. Do you feel that? Look at that. God defends them. Why? Not because they deserved it, not because they earned it, but he defends them first for his own name. He said, nobody will mock my glory. But then he says, you are identified with me, and I identify with you. So if I'm going to defend my name, I must defend my people. Oh, come on. That should give you confidence. And God says, man, you are mine, and I am yours. This isn't just like facts. It's not just something you write down and say, oh, that's cool. No, no, no. It's the reality that God identifies with you. Like, you are his. You are his. You are his. And every parent knows, man, no, I would do anything if anybody messed with my children. Anything. Anything. To mess with them is to mess with me 100% all the time. And God says the same thing. to say, you are my child. And if, if someone messes with you, they mess with me. 
If trouble comes your way, I identify with you, and I'm going to deliver you and be with you. Now, it may not look like you hoped, and it may not work out like you think, but this is the promise of God to say, I will be with you. Why? Because I zealous for my own name. So now you say, man, they're coming against me. They're bringing the lies against me. The culture's telling me this isn't worth it. All of these things are happening around me, and trouble comes to me, and the problem's too big, and God says, man, I will fight your battle. Why? Because I identify with you as my son, my daughter. This is God confidence to say, I know God will not be mocked. I know God is zealous for his own name. And I know a little guy over here named Sinecrib is not going to get the best of God. I know that. You know that, right? So now you know, man, the culture, anybody mocking God, they're not going to get the best of God. We know that. God wins. God always wins. But now to say, I am part of his team, and more importantly, I'm part of his family. So as God gets victory, so do I. They count for me. And God identifies with me. God will defend you with the same zeal that he defends his own name because you are his in Christ. That ought to give you confidence because look what's happening. This is like psychological warfare. Before he takes the city, he comes up and he just starts saying lies. And part of the story, they begin speaking in their language so all the people can hear. And he wants to create terror in the whole city. Words. It's just words right now. It's just words. Before it's fighting, it's word fighting. And he comes at them with lies, and he says, no, God won't do this. God won't do that. It's just word fighting. And now you and I, right, we live in a culture, word fighting. No, nah, man, your God's like, what? You're supposed to live like what? No. Nah. Word fighting. You can't say that. You can't live that way. You can't believe that. And it's becoming more and more prevalent. And I want you to say, as we continue to enter into a world that despises what we believe, to say God will defend you with the same zeal he defends his own name. And the question for these people now, look at this, okay? God had spoken clearly to them, and now the enemy was speaking clearly to them. And the question now is, who will they believe? That's the question. That's the most important question. God has said, I will be with you. And he had, experience, he had experienced his presence with them. And God said, I'll be with you, I'll be with you, I'll be with you. I promise you I will deliver you. God had made a specific promise to Hezekiah. He knew they were going to be delivered. He said, I will deliver you. He told the people, be strong and courageous. God will deliver us. And now the enemy comes and he says, he won't deliver you. And I will spear you. And this will go bad for you. And now the question is, who will they believe? And then so it is for me and for you. God has made us his promises. God has God has sent us his son. God has given us his spirit to those who trust in him. God has promised to be with us and to bring us through and to deliver us and ultimately to give us a problem-free place called heaven. God has made these promises. Then the enemy comes and says, it's not worth it. No, he won't. No, you shouldn't do that. It's not worth it. You're going to get reprimanded. You're going to get, you're going to get all these, it's not worth it. And the question is for you and for me, who are we going to believe? Who are you going, when you leave this place and this whole environment's gone and all these people are gone and the spiritual atmosphere's gone and you're walking around and you're doing things out in that world, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? And if you don't have God confidence from being with him, you won't believe him. You won't. You're going to fall for the lies. I want you to have God confidence. So look, it closes with this, verse 20. Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet prayed because of this and they cried to heaven. They prayed. The Lord sent an angel who cut off the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. When he came to the house of his God, 
some of his own sons struck him down. Look at the irony of that. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, from all the hands of his enemies, and he provided for them on every side. In the presence of God, the victory is won before the battle has begun. Look at that. Hezekiah prayed, and he made plans, but he didn't have to fight. He prayed, and he made plans, but he didn't have to fight. Listen, as we close, you have to receive this. Verse 22, so the Lord saved Hezekiah. Salvation comes from dependence on God, always. Not reliance on self. Salvation comes from dependence of God. That was true then. Hezekiah put God first. He prioritized God, and then he watched God work. And salvation comes from dependence on God then, and salvation comes from dependence on God now. Here's the good news of the gospel, that God in Jesus Christ has already fought the greatest battle on earth. He's already defeated death, and he's defeated sin, and he's defeated the devil, and he's won the victory without your help, and he never asked for it, and he doesn't need it. And now the greatest victory has been won, and the battle is over. And now Jesus says, I have fought and I have won and I have saved. All you must do is trust and depend on me. Trust me, Jesus says. Maybe some of you say, trust me for the first time. Depend on me. The battle isn't yours to fight, man. Stop fighting unnecessarily. The battle is the Lord's. Give it to him. Plan, pray, let the Lord do the fighting. And he says, come to me. And so some of you, you need to trust him for the first time. Today, to receive salvation, stop depending on yourself. And the Lord is calling you and asking you to that. And some of you, it's once again a reminder, like we've said the whole time, in the presence of God, the victory is won before the battle has begun. Are you living in the right order? Are you trusting in Christ right now? Are you prioritizing his presence? Are you watching him work? Or are you depending on yourself and trying to do everything yourself? Salvation comes from dependence. And so let's depend on the Lord this year for 2021. All right, let me pray. Let's ask the Lord to continue to reveal these things. So Heavenly Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for this time with you, Lord. We ask just that you would continue to reveal yourself. We thank you that you are the great victory winner, Lord. We thank you that you have won the victory over Satan and over death and over sin. And I ask that you would give us God confidence this morning and that by your grace you would allow us to implement consistency to be more confident. So, Lord, take this whole story of Hezekiah and the return to you Lord, and may it invigorate us with a real desire to return to you, to put you first, to prioritize you, to consecrate ourselves before you, and then to watch you do the work and win the battles. So, Lord, we entrust these things to you, our situations, our struggles, our fears, our worries. We entrust them to you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand and just respond with us to the Lord.